Hi, Philip. Uh, it's great to have you on the HTML Energy podcast. Uh, thanks for your energy today. Um, cool. I love <laughs> energy. <laughs> yeah. And so before we start, I just thought it would be cool to um, tell the HTML Energy listeners like a little bit about you and why I thought it would be cool to talk to you on the podcast. So yeah, I wanted to bring Philip Guo onto the podcast because of his interest and activity in publishing to the web. Uh, Philip's currently a professor at UC San Diego, teaching human-computer interaction courses and conducting research about learning programming. But what I most appreciate about Philip's practice is how he conceives of many different publishing activities under his main website, pgbovine.net, which I read recently has is now in its 23rd year uh, since... Oh, my God. <laughs> Since Thank 1997, um, in, in different versions or iterations. And in addition to housing his academic work, uh, his website also contains articles, vlogs, and podcasts. I personally like checking in on his vlog every now and then, and I especially like that he talks about topics most other professors or people in his field aren't talking about. And I guess it was about two months ago now that I went on Philip's podcast, and near the end we talked about Philip's interest in uh, passing on tacit, expert, or unspoken knowledge and sustaining creative work. So I guess with all that said, maybe I want to start off sim simple and ask you, Philip, um, what does the phrase HTML energy mean to you? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think that HTML energy to me means, you know, I would focus on the HTML part, right? So it kind of has this old school bare bones sort of meaning, right? Like the sort of raw energy that you could, you know, view source and, you know, in theory, in the old days at least, and maybe even now on, on you know, handcrafted websites, you can actually see the raw HTML and kind of see that behind these web pages or these works of design or art, there, you know, there's not really any magic, right? It's all human readable. And we can get in later about how you know that may not be the case with modern many modern websites, but at least in its pure form, this HTML energy to me means that you know everything is there for people to look at and to learn from, and that's kind of the you know, the spirit of the early web, and now even you know in the indie web that people have um, that's just like this very open sort of energy that's um, that's that's very pure. I guess that's my concise way of putting it. Cool. That makes sense. So view source is really important to HTML energy. Yeah, that was. A, I mean, that's the first thing that's on my mind. You know, when I see HTML, I would think about view source. So, could you describe the first website you ever made, and do you remember specifically what excited you to make it in the first place? Yeah, this gets back into how I'm really old. Yeah, the, uh, it was like 23 years ago. Whatever. That was, what, 1997? So 1997 was around 23 years ago, if I can do math. Um, older than many listeners, maybe, which scares me. Um, and that my first website was probably one of my personal websites. Um, I can 
put the link on later if we have room for links. But I actually have a thing on my webpage where I list my old web pages, and I'm looking at it now. The first one was March 1997, and that was when I was in eighth grade, so I was in middle school, and it was just like a single page. Just I think I just wanted to experiment with HTML because we had a um, ISP, an internet service provider, which gave you you know one megabyte or two megabytes of web hosting, and like you could just use FTP and just like put on a page or put on um, uh, images or whatever, and it will just display, right? It was some URL, like your isp.com slash tilde, whatever your username was. And that just seemed magical to me because in theory, anyone with the web browser, you know, then, you know, back then they were on AOL or whatever early web services people were on, they could just go to this URL, uh, this you know, type in this thing, and actually see what you put on there, which was which seemed magical to me, right? Because, you know, and I was a kid too, right? I was like, I don't know, 12 years old. So that's like, that was pretty magical that someone who's a kid could put something online that in theory, anyone in the world could see. So I just would make web pages about like games. I think the first one was just had some pictures of games that I like playing and just, you know, there wasn't actually much content. It was images in game <laughs> screenshots or whatever. Do you remember what kind of games you were into? Yeah, I, I have it pulled up right here. There's Command and Conquer and Duke Nukem 3D and Quake. So it was like these real time strategy games and like you know early first person shooters in the mid yeah the mid nineties. Mm. And who was the audience for this website? Was it mostly your friends or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, implicitly, I guess it was, right? Because the only people who would know about it would be people I told. So I guess it would be friends. Um, not that like people cared that much about it then. I remember it wasn't like, oh, everyone's making a website. You have to make a website. I think I think I knew several other people, like kids in my school who were starting to get into it. But it was like, yeah, it was it was very early. Like it was very early and it was very pure in that way. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess it was, but again, there wasn't much content at all, right? <laughs> it wasn't like it was actually for any purpose. Um, so what's your favorite HTML element? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I saw that question and, uh, and, and I didn't actually prepare for it, but I think I have a good answer. So my, so my favorite HTML element is table. So my website, even though it's 23 years old, um, it still uses tables. So I think if you actually go to view source on it, I'm just laughing at this now. Um, yeah, I think it is just a table. Yeah, it's all tables. Yeah, it's tables with TRs and TDs and stuff. And it's because, you know, because the website's so old, you know, back in the old days, like, it was really hard to get CSS to work, um, especially with a tabular layout, right? If you wanted to make a tabular sort of layout, it just made the most sense to me to use a table because that's the layout I wanted. Um, and, uh, and, you know, back... When I started this, you know, my modern version of the site was probably, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And there wasn't a lot of resources online for understanding CSS. So, like, it was just really hard to get CSS to work. And I was paranoid about it not working in different browsers and whatever. So I thought the table layout was the easiest because you can do the rows and columns. You can also do the um, uh, you, you can merge rows and stuff. And I think that I knew about table because I used Microsoft front page, like, way back in the day as the GUI tool to make web pages and you can make a table and you can like merge the rows and columns. It's very similar if you use like Microsoft Word right, or Google Docs. You just make a table and then you can have 
tabular data, right? Rows and columns. You can also merge the columns of rows to make like more complex layouts. And I thought that was like really intuitive. So even when I hand wrote the HTML, I just used tables. So like, you know, I didn't learn until years later that, you know, this whole idea of kind of semantic markup, right? That like, you know, if you're a purist about it, you really shouldn't, should not be using tables for things that are not data tables, right? Like you shouldn't be using tables for layout. You should be using all the right CSS things, but I, I've just kept it since. So I guess table is my favorite. Cool. That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and your current website and its current iteration, could you briefly describe this website? And could you tell us a little bit about the evolution to how you got to this website? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my current website is just kind of a dumping ground for mostly written articles. So it's really, um, there's just a ton of written articles. It looks kind of like a blog, right? There's like on the sidebar, there's categories, you know, there's tags. I just tag my own articles. Um, so it's really just the grounds for articles. So the layout is kind of somewhat optimized for writing. So like, you know, it's not too wide, you know, the fonts, if you kind of zoom in, like it looks like you know, I don't know, like if you're viewing in reader mode or on the Kindle or something, it's just, it's optimized for writing. Um, I do have pictures, you know, sometimes in the articles, but like, because the layout's pretty narrow, it's not really well optimized for pictures. So I would say it's, the site is optimized for written content. So it's a combination of articles I have. Um, also I have podcasts and blogs, but those are basically just embedded YouTube videos or links to the, you know, YouTube. And then I have my academic work also, which is my professional work. So I have a list of publications that links to the PDFs. I have my resume essentially, you know, teaching information and stuff. So it's sort of this like mostly it's for written content, but it is doubles as kind of my professional website as well. And like I guess the evolution was as I got older it became more about writing and professional stuff. And when I was younger, it was like more freeform, right? It was like, I didn't have this kind of style, uh, this kind of more rigid structure. It was just, I would just make pages on whatever, and it just looked really ugly and pictures are everywhere. But that was, you know, that was the early days. Mm -hmm. And your current website, how would you describe the HTML energy of it? Or does it have the same type of HTML energy as um, you would like it to have? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I guess it has maybe less HTML energy than the, you know, old ones when I was a kid, if we define energy as, you know, I guess if we take the energy part of the word or phrase, you know, the old ones probably had more energy because, you know, they had wilder colors and like, you know, just pictures everywhere and the layouts were messy and stuff. Um, there wasn't also, there also wasn't much content on the old ones. It was just kind of like a, dumping ground for whatever I felt like, you know, putting pictures on and describing them. I would say the modern incarnation of my site, I guess, has less energy. It's more subdued, I guess, because it is more like, because I have hundreds of articles and other kinds of videos and pages on there that it is more, um, I guess it's more polished or subdued. Um, and I guess, you know, the last part of your question, I would like it to have more energy in that, like, from time to time, I always dream of doing like a redesign or something, but I never have time to get around to it. Like I would like something that's in between, right? I'd like something that still is scalable so that you can put a lot of articles and a lot of content on, but something that is a bit more visually flexible, right? So for example, like the canonical example is that um, I can't really easily embed images in my articles because the layout's kind of narrow. So the images aren't big, right? So you have to click on them and they'll, you know, 
go to a separate page. So like, I really like modern sites that, you know, are responsive, right? They kind of flow well, they kind of resize well, they have good use of, um, they allow you to embed images really well. So for example, you can click on it and images expand in line. So like, it's always this conflict of imagery and text, right? Because for text, you really want it kind of narrow, you want bigger font, you want it to be readable, like a Kindle or something. But if you want to use multimedia for images, you do need that width and that size. But if you you don't want to take up all that size with text because it, then it's unreadable. So I felt like that was always a conflict between like using, I guess maybe the fundamental issue is using web pages as a document format, right? As documents where you can read easily, which I've optimized for lately, and using web pages as multimedia, which you want more flexibility, you want more responsiveness and everything. And I've just veered toward the text end so far. Right. And that might also be easier because the web was originally started as a place to share documents. So maybe it's, it's both, um, yeah, what you want and using like what the tool is good for or something. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's like there was less of this impedance, mismatch or friction, right? Like if you're using it as a document type format, you know, like the CSS for document type stuff actually makes sense to me, you know, like font sizes and, you know, spacing and stuff like that makes sense. But like, you know, trying to do CSS with, you know, more complex flows where you want to do multimedia and hex all together. It's obviously, you know, anything is possible, but it is a lot. You know, you do have to learn more about um, about stuff that I haven't gotten time to go into, but maybe this will inspire me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then going under the hood of your website, I know that you created a your own static site generator to basically create HTML from maybe more complex code. And um, yeah, could you describe a little bit about that process or what it's like to update your website? Yeah, so I made the static site generator years again, showing how old I am, years before that was like a term, right? So like the modern incarnation of the site was probably 2006. So that was, oh my God, it's almost 15 years ago. It was right when I started grad school. So when I started my PhD program, at that time in 2006, I had maybe a dozen or so articles written, um, maybe 10 or so. And then I saw like patterns, right? Like every article has maybe some summary at, at the top. There's a title, there's like a date, there's a summary box usually. And then there's just like a bunch of text. And back then, I think I was just writing a manual in HTML and like a text editor. And uh, I wanted to, you know, I was copying and pasting a lot, right? Because like I had a header, right? I had like a menu bar, a header, like a sidebar also probably. And then I'm like, okay, if I wanted more pages, right? Like I should have something way to generate it. And I remember I was like, yeah, I had this thing where I was kind of against doing stuff on the server side, right? Like I was against, I'm not like against, but like I didn't want to do stuff like have a PHP site set up so you could, you know, you needed Apache and PHP and all that configured so that you could do the dynamic site generation there. So like that, the traditional way to do it, at least back then, was to do it in PHP, which is actually very, you know, it's kind of elegant, right? So the, the PHP solution is you need a server that can run PHP, you know, on some web server like Apache, and you have to configure it or your web hosting might support it. And then what you do is you make a PHP page that looks basically like HTML, except it has, you know, PHP code that has a tag that says, go load this from the database and go load, you know, 
I guess like WordPress probably worked this way, you know, go load this data and render on the page. And that basically whenever you visit that page, it actually runs PHP code on the server to generate the page for you. And I remember I always didn't want to do that because like a lot of web hosting back then, at least the cheap web hosting didn't support running scripts. It was just literally static. You have to upload your HTML, your images and stuff. I remember back in college, the web hosting then did not support scripting. You need to like get a separate service to do it. And I was like, I don't want to do it. So I always had this I wanting desire to do static pages, um, like pure HTML. So the way to solve that without using PHP or server side rendering is to do a static site generator, which is basically means that you write code yourself and you run it on your computer to just generate all the hundreds of whatever HTML pages. So I wrote this set of Python scripts that I still run today. I mean, it's funny. It's like 16 years later. I still run it every day when I update the web page. Is um, the format, the input format is basically like Markdown, um, which actually came out around then, showing how old I am. Um, so it's the page is written in Markdown, which is, you know, like, you know, you have tags and you have, you know, text and stuff. So that, that, the articles written in Markdown, it feels very natural for me to write, right? Like it just, feels extreme. It's like you're editing a piece of text. And then I have a little header that's in a YAML format. So YAML is like, it's like JSON, but more lightweight. So it has tags. Like I say, title, colon, the title of the page, you know, next line, uh, date, colon, whatever, or next line, summary, colon, whatever. So I have a little, so each article, I have like hundreds of articles. Each article is basically a little YAML header. And then the rest of it is markdown. I just like have a delimiter somewhere. And my Python scripts just literally parse those text files. And it knows that the first part is a header and it parses the YAML and then knows the rest is markdown, parses it. And it just, you know, takes in the hundreds of uh, raw text files that I have in my directory. And then it just um, renders it to HTML. There's like, a, it just uses Python code. It's not very high tech. It just uses Python code to write out HTML, convert the markdown HTML, HTML, convert the YAML to HTML. And then because all the headers have um, all the metadata, like tags and stuff, I'm able to generate a sidebar with um, the tags and then uh, with cross-references and everything. And then it's funny because throughout these years, I've just evolved my own syntax in a way. So for example, if you put like a, you know, some kind of markup format, like, you know, link colon some HTML, if that HTML page is within my website, I can actually generate a link to it and, um, and render the title of that page. So like, that's a really fast way for me to link to different pages within my website because I just use a little tag. Another shortcut tag I have is publication. So like, if I want to reference my papers, there's like a publication tag that um, if I reference one of my publications with, you know, metadata and YAML format, again, it will just um, print out the like title of the paper and like um, the authors and a link to the PDF. So like, and I just run it every time offline, right? I just run offline and then I just um, use a service, a script to just upload it to the server, essentially something like rsync or something, I just upload it to my server. So from the server's perspective, it's just like a few hundred HTML files and image files, and it, it doesn't need any kind of um, scripting. It's super reliable. Like I use um, like a cheap web hosting service. It's just super reliable. It's fast. Also, it's funny because like nowadays people care a lot about page speed and mobile and everything, and people optimize the heck out of their dynamic web applications. But for me, it's just like it's actually really fast because there's actually nothing to load. I've never even tried to optimize it. I'm sure I could optimize <laughs> it, you know, 
for speed and stuff, but like I didn't really need to because everything is just HTML. So yeah, so that's my long winded way of saying I made a static site generator. Oh no, that's that's all really <laughs> fascinating. I'm wondering now, because today there are so many static site generators available for people to use, do you feel like it was valuable for you to learn like kind of under the hood how to make one yourself? Or Yeah, yeah? totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 100%. And, and, you know, part of this is also like, it was a good exercise to just get better at programming, right? Like it was actually a, um, you know, like, I didn't do a ton of programming back then, but like, I wanted to do more, right? And like, maintaining a website and scripting it and stuff, like, it was a great motivator, because it was something I actually used for myself. It wasn't just a toy project. Yeah, I think it's absolutely. And it's like this idea of using code to automate things and to prevent manual duplication. Right? And the reason I did this originally is because I literally just copied, like before having a generator, I would just write the HTML by hand and tweak it. And then I literally just copied and pasted. Like every page was just copy and paste, right? I would copy and paste and I would just change the body, <laughs> the, the, the content. And, and if I wanted to change the header, like I would have to go and change it for all the pages, right? And so like whenever you recognize that there's this manual duplication going on, you can imagine using a program to solve that. And also like another thing that's nice about this static site generators is that you're processing text, right? It's all just plain text. There's no funny business going on. I guess this goes back to the HTML theme earlier. Like it's all just plain text and you can parse it. You can, um, you can generate it and it's so flexible and, also, the other cool thing is now that I have my own generator, like I can add little syntax or extra things. Another thing I added is like a link checker, right? Like I want, I have like so many pages. I wanted to make sure that the links were all working. So it's all just in my giant script. I can generate all the pages and I can check that all the links I put inside all work. So all this stuff you could do with external tools, but I think that they're like, it's simple enough, quote unquote, that like it's within the realm of one person doing it and making this sort of bespoke or handcrafted artisanal, I guess, software for yourself. Like, I think it's very valuable because um, it's within the realm of what you can do, right? So like, I mean, I wouldn't hand write my own, like, I don't know, like video conferencing software. So like, that would be silly. Like, that's so complicated. You clearly want to use somebody else's. But for something like this, I think it's it's a great thing to, to do your own because you can customize it for your needs. Hmm. That also reminds me of this indie web principle. Maybe you've heard of this called manual until it hurts. Hmm. And I, I, I think what that's about is I, I just think there's such a trend in automation today mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. it's helpful to first go through the actual work of like realizing that you're already doing something and you've been doing it enough times that you realize it would be really worthwhile for you to mm -hmm. automate. But until you know that it's worthwhile to automate, I think it's almost good to wait on the automation, but it seems like you um, went through a, a process of being like, well, I've been doing this a long time, so maybe it's time to like make my own. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with that. And it's, um, and also like you kind of, it's about that feeling to it. You viscerally understand why you're doing that. Right. So like, you know, nowadays, you know, if, if people are starting up websites, 
there are so many options, right? Do you use a hosted service? Do you use, you know, like Squarespace or Wix or, you know, one of these hosted ones, um, these WYSIWYG things? Do you use a WordPress installation? And if so, you know, do you host it with them? Do you host it yourself? Do you, what plugins do you use? Do you do a static site generator? Uh, you know, people hear all these buzzwords of things. And then, you know, you, you see these stories on Twitter about like, you know, it's like, oh, I try to install the static site generator, but like, I can't install it, right? Because like, it needs some Ruby thing. And then you go down this dependency <laughs> chain and you're like, I just want to make a website, right? I think I saved screenshots of this. Like, I, I have this morbid curiosity of these days. So like, you know, people are like, I just want to make a website and put it on the web in 2020. I need to put the static site generator. I need to like configure my web hosting. And like, I can't even build it because it has some Ruby or Python error and stuff. And like, yeah, I, I, I think that this sort of, doing it manually so you can sort of see what's going on at every step and then seeing, okay, there is this complexity bar here that I have over 10 pages that I'm duplicating. I should start automated someone, right? Instead of doing it from, you know, if you have one page, you probably don't need to automate. Yeah, totally. I like that word you use, like a visceral, like almost like embodied um, reason for doing this automation. Cool. So I have a specific question about your website, maybe more holistically, um, uh-huh. yeah, because we, we talked about how you have this goal or curiosity about how people sustain creative work. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, what part of the puzzle do you think your website plays in that goal for you? Yeah, that's, that's a deep question. Um, I think that it's been my primary, I guess, creative outlet for years, right? For, for decades. Um, you know, I mean, lately I've been doing a lot more stuff on YouTube, um, you know, because I've just been recording videos and podcasts and stuff, and I just put everything on YouTube. But it's still, you know, I link to it from my website, right? Like I have, you know, wrapper pages that, you know, every episode in general, I just have wrapper pages, even though lately I haven't updated my site as much. But I think it it's, you know, the articles on there and the content. I think it's just like having a platform to put something on. And this is a very indie web thing. It's funny because I've read a lot of the indie web stuff recently. Again, it's showing how old I am because I'm like, you know, for me growing up, that was the web, right? All those things that they're talking about that they want to bring back. I'm like, wait, that was what I had like, <laughs> and I still have. And, and I mean, I think it's just this idea of having your own space to express yourself and to share. And I think for me, that ownership is important, right? That idea that talking about sustainability, I guess it's a different way of sustaining, but like literally sustaining this page over 20 or whatever years is only possible because I own the data, right? Like I have my own, all the, all these pages are literally plain text sitting somewhere on my hard drive or my backup, my cloud backup with a bunch of pictures. And I actually like from my old pages, if I wanted to, I could reconstruct most of them again, because they're actually just plain, they're all static. I never thought about this, but it's true that like, you know, if your old pages were some, you know, PHP or some scripting thing or some um, dynamically generated thing or something that was hosted on a hosted managed service, it's actually pretty hard to reconstruct an old page. I mean, you could take static snapshots, you could do um, print to PDF, right? You can print a screenshot, um, but you can't actually get the real page back. But for me, I can actually get the real page from many years ago because it is just straight up HTML. Um, and the web, you know, web browsers are pretty good about preserving backward compatibility. So um, for me, I mean, it's 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 this creative outlet where I know I have a place to put something if I want to put something online. And it's this power of giving someone a link and having people see it. Like, I just take it for granted because it just seems so natural to me. But 
it's something that's that's clearly you know a powerful thing yeah oh and then kind of like a side question i'm curious what what is your your hosting provider you said like it's just like a really simple generic one yeah, so I use this thing called Web Faction, Web W E B Faction. I, I, it's like Web and then Faction, F A C T I O N. It's just like a service, and it's, it's like been really good for about ten years, I think. Um, I got this because somebody I was like tutoring somebody a long time ago, and like he just used Web Faction for some reason. I don't know, maybe he heard about it from friends or from tech friends and stuff. But it's, it's pretty good. Like it's, you know, I don't even. It's like I don't know. It's like. $10 a month or less. I'm going to go to the website. Oh, it's $10 a month. Yeah. I think they just upgrade the, um, this storage or whatever, but it's like, yeah, it's $10 a month. And it's like, it's just good. And you can, um, it gives you, I mean, importantly for me, it gives you SSH access. So it, it gives you access to your, um, it gives you, uh, like a, you know, a Linux shell access, which is w- what I need because I need to basically, you know, my scripts will upload, the content to the hosting service. So I, I need command line access. So that's what was important for a hosting service. And literally it's just you, there's a folder in there. That's your, your public folder and whatever you dump in there, it just shows up on your webpage. So it's pretty nice. <laughs> that is nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like reassuring somehow to know that people who are in the field are using more simple hosting yeah. configurations. Yeah. As long as I guess, um, it just needs to have SSH access for you and it, it works. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's obviously very different kinds of providers, but like it's, it's also the menu of options is scary too, for someone starting out. So, which is why like for, you know, what I recommend for people starting out is one of these, you know, you pay and they host everything for you and you, you know, if you don't want to code, right, you can just go to, you know, whatever services advertised on podcasts and it's fine. Um, because if you want to do it manually, it does, there is a, you know, plethora of options you know like going down to the you know we give you a virtual machine essentially and you have to set up your own web server and make sure it keeps running and the machine doesn't reboot or whatever but yeah for the 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 one i've used for the last 10 years it's super simple like you just log on you have an account so i'm wondering what's a website you'd like to bring back from the dead oh wow that's a that's a good question um ah i'm trying to think of you know things from when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the most common answer here would be like something like GeoCities, right? Like that's like the common answer for that, of you know, or other these sorts of communities in the early web. I never really got that into like GeoCities, for example. I've actually never had a GeoCities because I always had my own internet service provider had a space for it, so I didn't need the hosting for something like GeoCities. Um, ooh, I guess maybe what was <laughs> this is so random, but um, it would be really cool to see sites from the early web, right? Like from those early, you know, those, you know, maybe the years even before I started my own website, right? The kind of mid nineties, that would be really, I mean, there was internet archive obviously, but like it's incomplete and it's, um, and you know, some of the, I'm sure some of the links and images are broken and stuff. Like maybe these really early sites would be cool. Cause I remember, before I made my site, browsing these early websites that were mostly text. I actually use a text, I think I like a text-based web browser a long time ago, right? Not because I was some kind of, you know, Unix wizard or anything, but just because like whatever our provider was, like, I don't even remember, like, 
it wasn't AOL, but it was one of these, like, because web browsers in the mid-90s weren't very, you know, fully featured, I think some of these inter- early internet services, they actually just let you browse the web with a text-only browser. I remember reading about, you know, Magic the Gathering, which was this card game that started in the early mid-90s I was really into. And I remember reading these early fan pages that people made about these games. And I was fascinated by it. It was all text, I think, because we use a text browser. So like those early sites would be awesome to bring back. And like, I'm sure that a lot of them are lost because, yeah, I guess like because they probably went down before even all the internet archive stuff came up. Maybe, you know, it's not just one site, but just whatever I saw as a kid, I'm sure most of those sites are gone because they didn't live long enough for the archiving infrastructure to be built up. Yeah, I think the Internet Archive wasn't started until like the later 90s. Probably. Yeah, I don't I don't actually know. That's a great question. I don't actually even know when how early they started. And and I'm sure in the early days, the indexing wasn't that good because it just, you know, they needed time to develop. So I think there is a lot of early sites that have been have been lost. Um, Yeah. Like, I don't think they'll ever be able to be recreated. Right. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, unless you go, unless I think we have to invent time travel somehow, or, or a limited form of time travel where at least you know the atoms on those computers can like reconstruct themselves, you know, in the past or something. Yeah, yeah, that that's a shame. Yeah, that all that is is kind of, I mean, it's like lost history, right? But I think it's the same with a lot of historical things, right? Like you know, I mean, I'm not a I'm not an expert in history, but like you know, even any you know big great civilization. With written history, I'm sure a lot of that early stuff was lost because, like, they were just starting up, right? And, like, that that early stuff is so interesting, like, the primordial mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you could describe your own energy in just one word, what would it be? <laughs> oh, my own energy. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is even harder than HTML energy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. And if you want to think for a moment, you can. Yeah, I'll think out loud. Um, it's actually a very relevant question to the web page stuff because I think we talked about this in my podcast a bit that like in the last however many years since I started my career as a professor, I've been my homepage has actually been my professional page, right? It's like my my professional biography and like kind of like preview of my publications and my research and blah blah. It's because I wanted that to be the landing page because that's what is expected of you know professors because when my colleagues look at it or potential students um, or collaborators, that's what they want to see. So lately I've actually, if you go to my homepage, I've actually, you know, put a picture of a dog on there and it says under construction because I've, I've started the switch around to like go back to my roots of like my homepage should be myself and shouldn't just be about work. So I've started this evolution well, I mean, I guess it's not one word, but I would say under construction. So it's it's that's what's currently on my homepage. It literally says under construction as a throwback to um to the old days. And um as so I am currently in this transitionary state where I want my homepage to actually have that energy, I guess, of the old days and not just be like a resume, essentially. Yeah. Do you think it could play both roles? I think it is hard for one page to play both roles. Like, I, mean, I think it's possible, but I think that um, I think it's like serving two masters. I think it, you know, I, I I tend to my own personality. I tend to like just doing one thing or the other rather than like trying to balance both in one in one page. Well, and 
who, who's that dog or where's that dog? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the dog. Yeah, so my, my new home is just a dog. And um, that's one of my friend's dogs from like childhood. And that, that photo is a black and white photo taken with a film camera. It was like a, a, like a manual film camera. And that was for a photography class that I had in my first year of high school. And like, that was one of my favorite pictures from the class. And we actually like, makes me sound really old, but like we actually did black and white film and we actually had a dark room in the school that we actually developed the film and printed the film. So it was like, it was awesome. Like, yeah. Speaking about doing stuff, you know, by hand or end to end, like that was awesome. Like that getting that experience of, you know, you actually have to take the pictures. We had these manual cameras, like they were like, you know, and you, you put the film in and you like spool the film and then you have to take it out in the dark. Right. And like put in these canisters and you like put all these chemicals in there. It's probably like deemed unsafe today. Probably got some, <laughs> we probably got like irradiated or something, but like, yeah, we did it all. And then the end result was you print it out like this eight by 10 photo. Wow. That's a great story. Well, cool. Thank you so much. I think, I think that's all really good. And I'm going to stop recording. Thank you.